I want you to imagine yourself living in the mid-1960s. Now, along with that, imagine that you record a song, and that song becomes an instant hit. It's such a huge hit that almost immediately it goes to number one on the charts. It knocks the song Help by the Beatles out of that number one position. That's how big it is. But it's also a controversial song. And some radio stations in the U.S. and Great Britain, they ban the song. They won't play it. However, within a few years, you have a conversion experience and you leave everything behind to sing songs about your faith. This really happened. Any idea who I'm talking about? Well, I'll share the story with you coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Well, hello. I hope your Monday's off to a good start here as we, uh, <laughs> we're we well into January now, right? January 9th. Uh, hi, I am Josh Raymond and glad to have you joining us for this hour of spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio. So in July of 1965, a man named Barry McGuire, he recorded a song that was called Eve of Destruction. It was recorded in one take. This was on a Tuesday morning, and Barry, he was reading the lyrics that were scrawled out on this crumpled piece of paper there in the studio. Six days later, the next Monday morning, Barry, he got a call from his record company telling him, hey, turn on the radio, because his song was playing. And it's true, what I said about that song, that it took off so quickly, it dethroned the Beatles and their song, Help. It took over that number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. And so just like that, Barry Maguire's career, it's off and running. He started recording more songs, more albums. He collaborated with popular groups at the time, groups like the Mamas and the Papas. Frank Zappa cited Barry as one of his musical influences. Barry got roles in a couple of movies. He then spent a year acting in a Broadway musical, Hair. This was in 1968. So things were taking off for him. Then, in 1971, he had a conversion experience, a profound conversion. His life was transformed, and he left the secular music world. And he started to record music that focused on his Christian faith. He would become one of the very first voices in a genre of music that today we call contemporary Christian music. The the folk music, the rock music of the 1970s, Going into the 80s, 90s, and beyond, he was a pioneer there. Toward the end of the 70s, Barry wrote and recorded a very simple folk song. It's called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. And in fact, it was recorded uh, on a children's album. This song, it talks about the change that occurs in a person when they've encountered Christ, when they become a part of the family of God. They become something new. And the chorus of the song is simply... This one repeated line, again and again, it says, Bullfrogs and butterflies, we've both been born again. Well, Jesus, he talks about that new birth, about being born again. And this is in his conversation with Nicodemus. This is in the third chapter of St. John's Gospel. And Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. When Jesus talks about that new birth... Well, the church has always understood this to be 
the sacrament of baptism, being born of water and of spirit. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, it emphasizes this transformation that happens at baptism. In paragraph 1265, it quotes from St. Paul in saying that baptism, it not only purifies us from all sin, but it makes us a new creature. That's That's the phrase, a new creature. Now, the amazing thing is this transformation doesn't necessarily stop with baptism. If you are baptized, yes, you are that new creature. You are completely a member of the body of Christ. You're part of the church. But you know what can actually make that baptism better? Well, that's the sacrament of confirmation. The catechism also, when it describes the effects of confirmation, it says things like confirmation completes our baptism. It perfects what we have received in baptism. Well, today is the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, and we want to talk about these two sacraments that transform us into something new. We want to look at the incredible gift available to us when we have been both baptized and confirmed in the church. And joining us for this hour as we talk about these two sacraments, Father Dave Heaney is back once again as our spiritual director. Father Dave is a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California. And if you would like to get his book, his most recent book, it's called Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry, and that is published by Ave Maria Press. Father Dave, welcome back to The Inner Life. Always great to have you here for the hour. Thank you, and great to be here, and what a great theme for today. Absolutely. Well, and, and so, you know, we're going to be talking about baptism and confirmation, but since this is the feast of the baptism of the Lord, mm-hmm. before we talk about our own baptism, that change that takes place in our lives through the sacrament, uh, can we just take a moment maybe to talk about what happened at the baptism of Jesus? Because I mentioned things like, you know, there's the cleansing of sin, there's the uh, um, being turned into a new creation, that transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catechism t- talks about things like being adopted into the family of God. These things aren't necessary for Jesus. You know, he didn't need to be cleansed from sin. He already is the Son of God. There's no need to be adopted into the body, uh, the, the family of God there. So when we see Jesus come to John the Baptist to be baptized— I think John the Baptist, his response is pretty understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, you should be the one baptizing me, not me baptizing you. So what is really happening in this scene where Jesus is being baptized? Well, there's a lot going on in this scene. And there's some really beautiful moments. You know, first of all, where it occurs at the Jordan River, that's that's not a, an accident. That's very important. And then the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove and the, and the beautiful announcement of God our Father— those are all beautiful events, uh, moments from the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan. But I guess the one thing that does kind of confound people sometimes is this idea that why did Jesus get baptized at all? I think we can say a couple of things. Uh, first one is that no one baptizes themselves. Uh, we always submit ourselves to someone else. We submit ourselves to the church and we are baptized by a priest. People don't baptize themselves. And baptism really is the start of something. It's the start of a mission. It's not an award for merit. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a deputizing in to go into the whole world and, and convert it. But I think the main reason why Jesus becomes baptized, uh, remember John was baptizing for the remission of sins. So Jesus himself didn't have any sins, but we did. And this really prefigures the cross when Jesus took our sins upon himself and went to the cross. 
So he took our he took our sins upon himself as he went into the waters of of the Jordan River. Really, it kind of at the beginning of his ministry and at the end, it's kind of bookends, and it's the same event. He takes our sins on the cross. He takes our sins into the River Jordan, uh, and uh, this is beautifully said by actually Saint Paul. I, I looked this up because of this idea of righteousness. So, in two Corinthians five twenty one, Paul says, "For our sake." He made himself to be sin, who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I think that's the best way of understanding it, uh, that it wasn't Jesus' sins that were removed. It was our sins because he was, con- he was always, the person of Jesus was the person who took our sins upon himself that we might be saved from sin. So all, all those beautiful things are happening. I, I remember hearing someone talk about the waters of the Jordan River too, you know, that for for every other human, the idea of water, you know, it's going to be for washing, for cleansing, you know, for in, in most obviously in a physical sense, but then in that baptism of John the Baptist, there is that spiritual cleansing, that repentance that people are seeking there as they come to John in the wilderness. And yet when Jesus steps into the water, rather than the water cleansing him, he's the one who cleanses the water. His, his holiness transforms that water and brings something new to it. And I, I always loved that image. It is a beautiful image. Uh, and again, you know, why did, you know, Jerusalem was surrounded by uh, uh, mikveh, you know, uh, immersion pools. But Jesus goes to the Jordan River. That's very, very important. And is that the spot where originally the Israelites escaping from Egypt crossed the Jordan River to go into the Promised Land. And that prefigures what happened 40 years earlier when they left Egypt, when Moses took them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. And that's really what the waters of baptism is the principal idea. It does look like washing, it does look like a kind of a cleansing, and all those ideas are important to the sacrament, removing of sin. But the main idea is uh, baptism is crossing the Red Sea. On one side, we were slaves. On the other side, we are free. So we are, we have our, that's the new creature. We are a changed person on the other side of the Red Sea. And then Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River, which is the second place where the Israelites crossed uh, a body of water to go into the promised land where they could live their faith freely. So on one side, we're slaves to sin, and concupiscence and all these kind of difficult things that make life difficult. But on the other side, we are with Jesus uh, and a free new creature ready to begin our new life in the Lord. Mm, That's so beautiful that we leave slavery behind to enter into freedom. We leave uh, what was temporary to enter into the promised land being Mm. with Christ. Uh, St. Peter, he also talks about baptism and he references Noah and the flood that passing through those waters, you know, they're leaving death behind and entering into this new world. So we have again and again and again in the Old Testament, these images where there's water and this passing through those waters to enter into something new that God has prepared for us. Well, so let's kind of turn then, Father, and talk about baptism, and we want to get to, again, as I mentioned, the uh, Sacrament of Confirmation coming up here too. But before we talk about either of those, maybe we can talk about just a sacrament in general. And as you know, I always like to make sure that we define our terms. So if somebody's listening and they don't understand what 
that we mean by that word sacrament. Could you explain for us what is a sacrament in the Catholic Church? A sacrament is first and foremost something that you can see, feel, or touch. It's a physical sign. So in baptism, it's water. In confirmation, it's oil. In marriage, it's the words that the couple say to each other. So it appeals to our human senses, and in a very powerful way, at very key moments in our life, when God breaks through uh, in a very much more powerful way that we can discern with his, with his grace and his love. Uh, so that's what a sacrament is. It's a way to meet the Lord. It's an encounter with the Lord through our human senses in ways that we believe he designed that makes his presence known to us in a, in a just more powerful and special, meaningful um, and, and visible, visible way. And this, there's seven particular ones that we believe Jesus chose to, to make himself present to us in a way that's memorable, meaningful, leaves a, a, you know, a significant change in our life for the better. Those are, those are the sacraments, They're just a physical sign in which we experience God's grace in a very powerful and meaningful way. So, and when you're talking about that physical sign with the sacrament of baptism, you mentioned uh, the water that we have there. That's what the church calls matter. There's also for every sacrament form, the, the physical or the, the words, you know, there's the physical matter, the material that's being used, but there's the words that are being spoken by the minister. What are the words that we hear in the sacrament of baptism? So they're very beautiful. They're very simple. We kind of take them for granted because it's very short. We maybe don't really realize just how much is being said. But when we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we begin and end so many prayers that way and we just kind of rattle it off. But just think of what it means. In the name of, if you do something in the name of, you're doing it as if that person were doing it instead. I am standing in for this person. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Trinity. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equals love. The Trinity is a relationship of love of these three persons. And that means that this prayer or this sacrament is going to be about God's love. Uh, and if we, if we just keep that in mind all the time, it makes every prayer and every sacrament, I think, more meaningful. So this person is being baptized in the love of God, that their life from this day forward should be about either receiving God's love or giving God's love to others. Very simple, very powerful. Uh, the the form, those words that are spoken are very important though. Um, I, I know that when I was coming into the church, there was a question of, were you baptized in a Trinitarian baptism? Right. Um, I, I knew people who were involved in Pentecostal churches and they would only be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the Catholic Church would not look at that, you know, I baptize you in the name of Jesus. If there's not the three persons of the Trinity spoken there in the baptism, the Catholic Church would say, well, that's not valid. Why is that so important that the, the matter, the physical aspect of whatever material is being used is exactly what it needs to be, and that the words are spoken exactly as they should be spoken? Well, they are the words that Jesus himself used. And so that makes all the difference in the world. I know sometimes in other parts of the Bible, I think St. Peter on Pentecost says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But it is our Lord in his final commission. And final words are really important. You know, this is a person summing up his mission uh, as he ascends into heaven. He says, go into the whole world and baptize them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We follow Jesus. Uh, he said, follow me at the beginning. That's the simple summary of our faith, and so we follow him as well. Those are the words that he used, so those are the words that we use. Talking with Father Dave Heaney here today on The Inner Life. He is the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California, talking about the sacraments of baptism and confirmation here on this, the Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord. And how about you? How have you been able to live out your baptism, being able to show by your words, your actions, what you do, showing outwardly that you are a member of the body of Christ. And we're also going to be talking about the sacrament of confirmation. That's uh, that sacrament that strengthens us, that seals us with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you have a question about one of these sacraments. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Dave. Our phone number here into the studio is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. So, Father, as we're talking about this, then, we, we've talked about what a sacrament is, we've talked about what happens you know, in, in that story that we read from the Gospels where Jesus is baptized. What happens to us now? Let's talk about the the impact in our own spiritual reality when we are baptized. And, you know, most often in a parish we might see an infant being baptized. If we go to the Easter Vigil, that's the opportunity where we can see older people, you know, converts that are being welcomed in, baptized into the, into the church. But what is taking place in that spiritual reality of the individual when they are baptized? Well, hopefully they see themselves as a new creature. Uh, I hope, I think mainly, I hope they see that baptism is not an award. It's not a recognition of merit or a good life or any of those things. It really, it's a, it really begins something. It's a commission. Both baptism and confirmation are really connected to this idea of mission, of uh, of being this person of Christ in your life, whether it's at work, school, or home, uh, to, to be this person of Christ wherever you are, especially in your marriage or family. Uh, so to see baptism as the beginning, it was the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus, we should take it in the same way, that now our Christian life should be public. It should be something that people can see. They can recognize that I'm a Catholic. They can see it in my words and in my behavior. That I have, I, that I am a person of faith. So all I think, all of those themes, I hope, would come to a person who's who's being baptized. That it's the beginning of a new life. That hopefully is one. It's a happy life. It's a life about love. It br- brings them fulfillment and meaning, and that they enjoy it just the way God intends us to enjoy our life of faith. So that's the way I would hope somebody would have that thing going on inside them. That you know now starts the great adventure. Right. Well, so let's talk about that, um, what that looks like for us if we were baptized as an infant or a young child. Um, Because, you know, that before and after kind of experience, if that happened when you were, you know, X number of months old, there might not be that, that, you know, ability to remember what you were like before, you know. And and so let's talk about that coming up after the break, that new creation, new creature identity that we have 
um, some ways that we might recognize that in ourselves. Again, talking with Father Dave Heaney here on The Inner Life, and if you'd like to join the program as we talk about the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, you're welcome to call in with your questions, 888-914-9149, our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And we'll continue our conversation here shortly, right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at relevantradio.com slash Gregory. That's relevantradio.com slash Gregory. Back to the inner life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Today, talking with Father Dave Heaney. He is the pastor of St. Bruno's Catholic Church in Whittier, California, talking about the sacraments of baptism and confirmation and inviting you into the conversation. You're welcome to call in with any of your questions. And we'd also love to hear how you have experienced these sacraments in your life. Baptism, knowing living out that you are part of the body of Christ, part of that family of God, the sacrament of confirmation that helps to embolden you in your faith, seal you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, When have you experienced that, being that true witness of Christ, being emboldened to spread, to defend your faith? Uh, You're welcome to call in, 888-914-9149, So, Father, right before the break, I was uh, mentioning, okay, we've got—you explained that new creature, that new creation kind of aspect, that transformation that should happen in our lives when we are baptized. But then I said, well, if I was baptized as an infant or a very young child, and I don't have this dramatic before and after experience with the sacrament of baptism, if, if I have essentially— for as long as I can remember my entire life, I've been living as that new creature. What are some of the ways that I might recognize that there indeed has been that transforming experience in my life if it's all I've ever known? Uh, how do you, can you say that again? How do, how do you experience, how do you feel like you are a new creature? Is that what well, you're Well, yeah. How, what, what would be some of the indications, uh, you know, some of the things that I could see in my own life? If okay. I've been baptized since the time I was, you know, one month or two, month old, yeah. two months old, what would be indications that I'd say, oh, there has been this transformation. I can see that I am this new creature in Christ. I, you know what? We just celebrated uh, or acknowledged Pope Benedict's passing just recently. And I remember one of his most beautiful lines. Is he said, the surest sign that the presence of Jesus is within you is the presence of joy. And I just think that is really profound. It doesn't mean so much happiness, which is kind of a giddiness sometimes, but a deep and profound sense of joy in good times and in bad. I think if someone has that sense of profound joy within Pope Benedict says that that's the, you know one of the strongest signs of the person of Jesus. Uh, so I mean, you can know everything about the Catechism, but if it doesn't bring you joy, then there's something missing. And if you can't bring that joy to others, then you're not really doing the evangelization that the Church and our Lord envisions. Uh, I think people followed our Lord because they he 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 made them feel meaningful, purposeful, and joyful. Uh, so I think that's that's number one. 
And of course, growing in faith is not magic. Uh, it, it doesn't happen, you know, automatically. So we have to grow in our knowledge uh, of the Lord through, you know, reading the catechism and the scriptures and uh, the sacraments and listening to the Mass and participating in the Mass. So all those things deepen our relationship with the Lord. But we know we're on the right track. We know, we're, we, know we have the right experience when deep down it brings us a great, a great, great sense of joy. So I'm glad I could bring that quote from Benedict forward, and maybe this is just the right time to say it uh, at this time that we are remembering his life in a beautiful way. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that it might be good to talk about here, too, is since I mentioned being baptized as an infant, is just even that that uh, practice in the church. Because mm-hmm. myself, having grown up in a Southern Baptist church, the belief was that baptism should only happen after an individual makes a personal decision to follow Christ. And since babies are incapable of making that decision on their own, having that kind of intellectual assent. Uh, we didn't have any infant baptisms, but the Catholic Church has a much different view on this. Can you explain how the Catholic Church views infant baptism? Well, ironically, it's based on the Bible. It's a very biblical practice, uh, because about five or six times uh, in the New Testament, somebody is baptized, and then it follows with this really beautiful phrase. It says, you know, Cornelius was baptized along with his whole household. Lydia was baptized along with her whole household. Crispus uh, or Stephanus, all these people were baptized along with their old, their whole household. So the head of a household had the authority to kind of bring the entire family in. And, the, and the, when they use that word household, that's a technical word that means a number of different people. Not only family members, but maybe servants uh, or even employees uh, of a place. It's kind of like everybody underneath the authority of this um, householder. So that means uh, women, children, uh, you know, everybody in the house. And that, that's a signal that it's the family that's, that's coming into the church uh, as one. So that's where we, you know, we get the idea of infant baptism because it, apparently it did happen in the New Testament. We have all those different examples. And so we believe that, um, that, that it's appropriate and that it's the, it's the family that's experiencing this being a new creature. That this child is not only being, becoming a member of the church, but joining a family of faith in their, in their household. So that's why, you know, the baptism ceremony for an infant today begins with talking to the parents. Why have you come here today? What do you ask of God's church? You have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you're going to raise them in the faith and to be this new creature. So baptism of an infant really is almost like baptizing the whole family. Right. Well, and it's also the new sign that signifies that you're part of this faith community. Uh, In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was circumcision, that was mm-hmm. that sign. And that, if we even look and say, well, that wasn't, you know, waited, it, it didn't wait for children until they decided, well, I'm going to be a part of the, you know, the, the, the community here, the Israelites. No, the parents made that decision for them. And so I, I think there's also part of just being intellectually honest logically here. If as a parent you make a decision for your child, well, I'm going to, I, I, 
you might want to you might want to make your own decision on wearing seatbelts later. And so I'm not going to force you to wear a seatbelt in the car until you make that decision for yourself. Or I'm not going to force you to eat broccoli or, you know, Brussels sprouts until you make your own decision on how you feel or what your what your own personal belief is on the the value of vegetables in your diet. No, as, as parents, we're going to be making all these de- decisions for our children. And so why would it be any different when it comes from a faith standpoint? That's a, those are really compelling and dramatic examples, and I completely agree. And, and I also think back to the time when the Israelites left Egypt to cross the Red Sea to become free on the other side. The whole family went. Uh, the entire nation went. So, yeah, I think the idea of baptizing infants is very biblical and, uh, and, and so therefore very appropriate. Uh, Father, let's go to the phones. And again, the phone number here, if you are listening and would like to join the conversation as we talk about the sacraments of baptism and confirmation, the phone number to call into the studio, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Larry is listening to us in Escondido, California. Larry, hi, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air. Well, thank you. Good morning. I had a question about the gospel reading for the baptism of the Lord. I would, the homily, during the homily, the Father mentioned that Jesus was not completely conscious of his beatific vision until the baptism of the Lord and the dove and the clouds parted and the dove came out. And I was wondering if the church had a, a definite teaching on this. Actually, it doesn't because we're dealing with kind of a psychological state. So that's a very old question. When did Jesus know that he was the Messiah or the Son of God? I mean, we do have this remarkable event where as a younger person, he's in the temple, uh, you know, engaging in very wise discussion and back and forth with the the teachers in the temple. Um, You know, so how Jesus understood himself, the Gospels really don't, you know, get into very much. So... What the priest said today is is speculation. You know, um, there are people on both sides of that issue, but I, I just think it's difficult to determine. You know, kind of Jesus' interior psychological state. Now, you know, the, the dove coming down and the voice from the heaven. Different gospels say how many people heard that, uh, but uh, that's clearly a public sign of affirmation that this is my beloved son. But I, I would say that, you know, Jesus going into the Jordan River, I think he knew what he was doing. I think, I think he knew what it, what it meant. Um, my personal view is that, uh, that from the very beginning, uh, that Jesus had a sense that, this, that he was of God. That's my sense. Good question, Larry, and one of those where <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll all get the answer if we have the hope of uh, making it to heaven. So uh, pray for me, I'll pray for you, okay? And uh, Father, let's uh, talk just for a moment here about when we are baptized. Um, I, I think one of the other common things we do, we cross ourselves with holy water so often walking in or out of a church. And what's that connection between making that sign of the cross with holy water and our baptism? Everything. Uh, I mean, the reason why we have those holy water fonts in the church is precisely to remember baptism. The baptism font was always at the, at the entrance of the church, again, symbolizing the beginning of a life of faith. You're entering the church through baptism, and you get baptized, and then you kind of keep walking into the church. 
So, I mean, a baptistry is just one spot, so churches have many doors. So they, they put these little, these little baptism fonts really at each door. And sometimes people even have them in their homes. Uh, and so when you walk in, you touch the water, bless yourself, and you, you can say, you know, make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you remember that, this, that you are baptized, you know, any, any uh, promise that we make, if you, if you have the habit of renewing that promise, then that promise becomes more profound and deeper and is like, unlikely to be broken. So every time you walk into the church, you remind yourself of your own baptism. It's just a renewal of baptism promises. It's a renewal of your faith. And that's always, always what makes any relationship stronger and stronger. Married couples that renew their vows once a year on their anniversary is great. If they did it every day, even better. So that's what the, those holy water fonts are at the church. They're little reminders of our, our baptism. So baptism, and we want to talk about confirmation here too. Both of mm-hmm. these sacraments are, um, they fall into this category of what the church calls the sacraments of initiation. And even the Eucharist falls into this category of the sacrament, uh, being a sacrament of initiation. Baptism, I think, is very natural for us to look at that and say, okay, this one makes sense. It is that initial entry into the church. We're brought into the family of God. But then it would appear, at least I think on the surface, that if you're already part of the family of God, part of the church, you've you've been baptized, why would other sacraments, confirmation or the Eucharist, why would they be considered to also fall into this category of initiation? Because they begin something. They they are they something happens to you and then when it's over, you go out and do something. So, you know, the mass, you know, the most Obviously, the most important words are the words of the consecration. And the next most important words are, go, the Mass has ended, to love and serve the Lord. So you have the experience of Mass, and when the Mass is over, that's when the important work starts afterwards when you go outside. Baptism and confirmation, the same way. They initiate activity. They begin uh, this missionary activity. Remember the most important words that Jesus said at the the very end, go into the whole world and, and change it. So they start something. So baptism, confirmation, and, and Eucharist start something in your life. Uh, so something happens in the church, and then when it's over, that's when the action starts. So they initiate beautiful actions of Jesus. Well, and then the other part of that is, too, I mentioned earlier in the hour that we have things said in the catechism about the sacrament of confirmation. It completes or it perfects baptism. Mm-hmm. So... We've got these complementary sacraments here, but they're obviously still distinct. You know, there's something that they're they're not just one and the same. Can you kind of help us understand the differences then between these two sacraments? What really is happening for us in confirmation? Sure. So let's just go to the words, the form. So be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're sealed with oil. And oil is just one of the richest uh, signs in the church. It means to strengthen, it means to heal, and to seal. And I think the idea is that, and this is the way I often explain it to our confirmation students, is that uh, you're going to receive this grace, and so we want it to be sealed within you so that it doesn't leak out, it doesn't dissipate, it doesn't uh, you know, evaporate away. So that the goodness, the virtues, the, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're going to come to you, be sealed with these gifts so that they stay inside 
and you nurture them and, and value them and, and grow from them. So I think the, the words just tell us about what the oil is going to do. It's going to seal, it's going to heal and, and strengthen. So taken together, look how many things are going on with baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. I mean, there's just a lot going on. And, if, and so they all belong together and they just have a tremendously rich source of grace from all the different things, from water, from the bread and wine and the Eucharist to the oil and confirmation. They're all doing good things for a person. Um, so we don't say that, uh, I think just in aggregate by adding them all together, it just makes for a more profound, complete and fulfilling and beautiful experience. Well, and those those sacraments being united that way for that complete experience that you're talking about there, I believe in some of the Eastern Rite Catholic churches that infants, when they're baptized, they also receive the sacrament of confirmation. That's not necessarily the case in the Western, especially here in the U.S. You know, we have confirmation that's typically sometime in uh, the, the high school age, you know, 15, 16, yeah. 17 years old, that most... Uh, children that have grown up in the church, they'll receive that sacrament. Um, why the why the reception very young for Eastern Catholics? Why kind of this separation of the two sacraments for us in the Western Church? Well, actually, in some of the Western countries, like like Mexico, I, th- I believe it's the custom in Mexico, which is you know I'm in California, so that's our neighbor to the south. Um, I think in Mexico, uh, everybody receives confirmation when they're baptized uh, as a baby. In the United States, pretty much almost, there's a lot of discretion is given to bishops, and most of the bishops in the Diocese of of the U.S. have decided to separate confirmation to uh, usually like the end of sophomore year high school. It used to be in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, and then it moved to high school. They just saw it as a as a great opportunity to bring the experience of the sacrament to a person who's a bit older, can maybe understand it a little bit more, um, and um, and make use of it more. So I think that's it's a beautiful thing. I'm I'm glad for it. Look, teenage years are a very challenging time. It's very tough. It's it's a you know it can be a challenge for many parishes to make the confirmation experience meaningful, uh, but. Uh, it's you know better than not doing it at all, I think. And certainly a number of students will be reached and their lives will be changed and made more meaningful because of it. So I'm glad we do it. We separate it out into high school time. Uh, I think some dioceses do it even a bit later, like in the senior year high school. So uh, the sacraments of initiation, you know, they do have a connection with each other, but there's certainly nothing wrong with separating them in time. Talking with Father Dave Heaney today here on The Inner Life and taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Need to take another short break, but we'll be back with Father Dave and more of your phone calls coming up next here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Back to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Big thank you to Thomas Engesser and Cyrus Simcoe 
for their help today in producing the program. And thank you for listening, being a part of the program. If you would like to call in as we're talking today about the sacraments of confirmation and uh, baptism, our phone number here into the studio, 888-914-9149, Our spiritual director today is Father Dave Heaney. He is a priest in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and if you're enjoying listening to him and you'd like to learn a little bit more from Father Dave, well, you can pick up his latest book. It's called Luke 10 Leadership, How to Succeed in Parish Ministry, and that's available through Ave Maria Press. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Ray, who is listening and calling in from North Carolina. Hi, Ray. Welcome to The Inner Life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of ironic. I went, well, first of all, I should say, my wife and I are both uh, cradle Catholics. And my wife was married uh, before, and her uh, uh, grandson was baptized yesterday. So we went, and it's in a non-denominational church, and I felt a little awkward even going there. But, you know, for, you know, for the family, and keep the peace, and Mm-hmm. Out of respect, I went, and the pastor made a a point of saying that this baptism would not do anything for your salvation or to save you. In other words, okay, which kind of just <laughs> blew me away when he said that. That's amazing. And, uh, <laughs> I think it is. So I felt obviously uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable going there because to me it was like a, a maybe going to a you know, because they jump around and dance and everybody's really into it and of course the pastors which most of them are I guess uh, very good speakers, you know, and they get everybody. But just for him to say that, which is totally false from what I've learned in the Catholic faith. Well, don't forget, Ray, I mean, this was this was not a, this was not a Catholic church. There's about 25,000 thousand different denominations in the Protestant world, and they're all, you know, kind of um, slightly different from each other. So you're going to hear, you know, many, many different things from different Protestant churches. Uh, you probably said that because the kind of the classic Protestant idea is that faith alone saves us. And um, so that's probably why you said it. But I, I just wonder why they would have a that kind of a ceremony at all. But, uh, you know, we again take Jesus at his word. He talked to Nicodemus and said, unless you are born of water and the Holy Spirit, you know, that's where salvation comes. So we take Jesus at his word. It's ironic that this Protestant church is, in a sense, not following that biblical verse, since they often are very fundamentally biblical. But, you know, we again, we follow Jesus. We take him at his word. Unless you are born from, holy water, from water and the Holy Spirit, uh, you will not receive eternal life. So um, I'm not sure why he said it. I don't think there's anything wrong with you attending the ceremony, uh, certainly for family reasons. There's, there's no, nothing wrong with that. But you're going to hear different things from a, from two Protestant churches on the same street are going to have a slightly different take on things uh, just because there's uh, they, ha- they all have private interpretation understanding of Scripture, so they're gonna, all going to go in different ways. So I'm glad you went for family unity. Um, that's kind of par for the course for different Protestant religions. I'm not sure who I said that, but for us Catholics, we follow uh, what our Lord said, especially what he said to Nicodemus. Yeah, you know, it brings up a couple of different things that we might talk about for a moment here, Father. First of all is the importance of 
a legitimate authority when it comes mm-hmm. to understanding scripture and the deposit of faith. Um, and you know, if you don't have that, then there can be such confusion. You know, if if there was only scripture that we were to look to, which scripture never claims that, but if there were only scripture that was the entire deposit of faith, then it becomes exactly what we have. There's so much confusion, all these differing points and ideas and interpretations that we have out there on what really is true. And so that's why it is so important to have that authority of the church being able to say, well, this is true and that's not. But the other thing that we might talk about here too is the sacrament of baptism is the normal, it is the optimum way for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the family of God, to that, that sacrament of initiation. But there are also times where we might hear a phrase like baptism of desire or baptism by blood, that God can save an individual who hasn't necessarily been baptized in water physically. Um, there hasn't been the matter, there hasn't been the form used as we would normally understand it. Can you kind of explain to us what's happening in these moments where we hear baptism by desire, baptism by blood? Sure. Uh, baptism by, by blood is, is like a martyr, someone who, you know, wanted to become Catholic, wanted to be baptized, uh, maybe lives in an oppressive society and was arrested and killed, um, that person, you know, we believe had, in a sense, a baptism of desire, of, of blood. Or a baptism of desire, you know, someone who wants to be Catholic, wants to be baptized, and then, you know, passes away before um, the ceremony could happen. We believe that God made the sacraments, but God is not bound by his own sacraments. You know, we, our faith is based on, what, on God telling us what to do, not us telling him what to do. So we believe that in the mercy of God, and we say that at the Mass, you know, for those who have died, you know, not baptized, they are in the hands of God. They are in the mercy of God. So um, baptism is by far and away the normal way. But if certain life circumstances get in the way of that, this person wants to be baptized, and either by martyrdom or just, uh, you know, sickness and death are unable to, we believe that 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 person's, you know, kind of desire to be baptized counts uh, with our Lord. Perfect. Well, Father, let's go back to the phones. And we've got Ashley, who's calling in from Arlington, Texas. Ashley, glad to have you here on the program. You're on the air with Father Dave. Good morning. Well, it's morning here, at least. Um, (laughs) I have a question about confirmation, and I'm coming at it from a perspective of looking at it through for fallen white Catholics. So for me in eighth grade, I mean, I think I took my confirmation seriously, but I know a lot of people didn't, and they really went through the motion. Um, I was at Catholic school, so it was required of everyone who was Catholic. And I don't know, I would assume that most people, or a lot of people, just went through the motions. And then I have many friends who have fallen away from the Church, but because they've been confirmed, they're you know, held to the teachings of the Church, for instance, getting married in the Church. Um, and so... I'm looking at it from their perspective and wondering, was it, because I know, I think, um, like, Protestant, they're held to less strict regulations or rules, I guess you'd say, um, because they're not 
baptized and confirmed in the Catholic Church. So is it better for someone to receive confirmation and fall away even in those terms than to, let's say, never receive confirmation and be a Protestant or something something else and still awaiting their well, conversion? I mean, actually, it's an imperfect world. I mean, you know, if you have 100 kids in the confirmation class, not all of them are going to be saints. Uh, but I think it's always good to, to have you know, if, if they have good intentions, if someone is in the confirmation class and they're just disruptive and not being attention, then we ask that person to leave. But if they're, you know, doing the best they can and they get confirmed, that's a good thing. And it's possible that later on they may fall away, but I don't think we ever want to, uh, I think it's always a good thing for someone to receive the, the gift of confirmation. I mean, Jesus saw people leave. Him, him, you know, half the people walked away when he started talking about the Eucharist. He was sad about that, but it was not going to stop him from talking about the Eucharist. So, you know, not every some people will fall away from confirmation, but we still offer it to all of our teenagers, do the best we can to, you know, make the good news known to them and, uh, and hope for the best. So I think I think it's a good idea. The the other thing I guess that might come to mind here, Father, is you know there are points for all of us, even if we wouldn't necessarily consider ourselves fallen away. But there are points where we allow for our own desires, our own wants, our own selfishness to be <laughs> to have priority over what we know God wants for us in our lives, and. It, you know, the the fact that if we have been baptized, if we have been confirmed, if we've received you, the Eucharist, if we've been in the past able to go to the sacrament of confession, well, those things are at work in our lives mm-hmm. to help us so that we hopefully come back and choose the good and the right again. And, and I guess I would think, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, the person who's been confirmed, even if they are fallen away for a time of their life— there's still God at work. There's still that grace, that real grace that's been received in their life that gives them maybe kind of a, a leg up on the other person that hasn't been confirmed, that they might see God's mercy and grace working in their life to draw them back. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, faith doesn't really make sense to them until certain other things happen in their life. Maybe they experience a sickness or a crisis or just, you know, a beautiful thing like getting married. And all of a sudden that can reawaken the things that they heard when they were teenagers that they had forgotten or put aside, and all of a sudden it comes back. So I think just offering the sacrament of confirmation is just always, always a good thing. Father Dave, we're down to our last 30 seconds here. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners as we conclude the hour? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacraments that you have given us. We ask for the grace to live them fully in our lives each day. And we ask this prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Always good to have you on the program, Father Dave, and look forward to talking with you again sometime soon here in the future. Uh, If you joined us late and you'd like to go back and listen to the entire hour, of course, the podcast, you can find it at our website, relevantradio.com, or through the Relevant Radio app. I hope you can join us tomorrow here on The Inner Life as we're going to talk about how God works in our lives in difficult moments of grief and loss, uh, how we can turn to God, how we can find peace, even in those moments where it wouldn't seem like we would be able to have that peace and that comfort. And maybe if that peace or that comfort seems like it's 
avoiding you, it's out of your grasp, well, tomorrow maybe you'll get some answers and some hope. Stay tuned. Mass is next here on Relevant Radio.